So welcome everybody. This is Michelle Hayward and Casey Atha. And today we are talking about why your company C-Suite isn't fighting racism. And really this came about as, um, and you know what, I'll, I'll let Casey talk about how this topic came about. Okay. So Michelle and I chat each week, as you can imagine, we try and stay up to date with what's happening in the world, the pandemic and the revolution that we're living through right now. Um, and what we're seeing are a lot of things that we do like, which are like Ben and Jerry's statement. We broke it down in the whole um, LinkedIn live show. And we like to see the money and the support being given to organizations that are supporting anti-racism. And that is wonderful. What we are also seeing and hearing from folks is about their organizations doing those things and then the folks inside feeling deeply confused, deeply hurt and unsure about why or where those statements are coming from because that's not how they are experiencing their organization. An organization may say, we stand with black lives, black lives matter, yet there is a black person in the organization saying, I feel like they don't really care about my life though. So yeah, yeah. what is what is up with that disconnect? What's going on? And that's what Michelle and I are going to talk about today. Michelle's coming in hot with the top five reasons why organizations are openly being anti-racist in their external communications. But what's going on? Why aren't they doing that internally? Well, they're not even, let, let's be honest. They aren't being anti-racist even with their external messaging. They, they're like, we're donating. Yeah, they're resourcing organizations yeah. for their money. So, yeah, so exactly. So um, that's externally. They might be doing something internally. We, we, you know, we don't always know. I might hear some stuff. My DMs might be on and popping about what you're not really doing. So I'm going to put it to you that way. So number one, not number one, number five. So number five, um, your C-suite do, doesn't want to be held accountable for the plans that they share. So they're like, well, we want to do something. So we're going to write a check because that's the easiest thing. And, and it's cash and, 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 the, and the, the nonprofit they donated to is still working, right? But if they come out with an action plan that has milestones and dates, they do not want to be held accountable for not sticking to it, not funding it, not giving staff support, having staff on that, or whether it's external consultants, internal employees, they do not want to be held accountable to creating a plan and following through with it. Hey, David. So definitely, definitely, definitely have to start with accountable. That's not what they want to do. It's like, I have other stuff to do. Why do I want to be held accountable to this? Um, and, and, and in that accountability is also, they, it, they don't know what's going to happen. So they're like, is it, is it going to be good or bad? And, and having that accountability, following them, tracking, um, you tracking them, what does that look like? And they, because there's so many unknowns in there, so they don't want to be held accountable at all. 
Okay, um, what do you have to add, um, Casey? I think that's true. And so that was my intro as well, just highlighting the fact that if you take a stand internally and say, we are going to address this, you've basically said, we are committing to this, we care about this. And when folks see that your actions don't align with what you're saying, you are rightfully so going to feel uncomfortable and going to feel like you made a mistake or didn't do something appropriately, like communicating out what you truly were doing internally. So there's a number of reasons or a number of ways that accountability is causing fear or barrier to actually doing anti-racism work internally. So that was number five. Number four. Okay, so yeah. Wanna go? <laughs> number four is bad for business. They're saying that becoming an anti to fight racism, become anti-racist is going to be bad for business. They're going to see a loss of talent, right? They're going to see a loss of partners and a loss of business. And I absolutely disagree with this. In your organization, if you have talented people who are racist, who are racist, you're already losing black talent. You're losing brown talent, right? So in actuality, you already lost talent, but you are okay and comfortable with losing talent that's black and brown, right? And so now you need to become comfortable with looking talent that's not black and brown when you create an anti-racist organization. Partners, if you have partners that are that are racist, why are you doing business with them anyway if you not only know they're racist? So now what is happening is your ethics and morals are coming into play. You're like, you know what? It's bad for business for us to partner with somebody who does not value black lives. And business, well, let's talk about the buying power of black people. How many billions of dollars is that? If you're the only one or one of few in your niche with those products and services and black people know that you are actively fighting for their lives, you're creating a place that is anti-racist, right? From the C-suite down and you're actively doing it. You've made a commitment to it. Guess what? I'm about to spend all my money. Guess what? I'm about to tell my friends and family to spend all their money is with you because you're, guess what? Being held accountable and you understand that it's, it is to your betterment for not just that organization, but to the world to become an anti-racist company. So it's better for business. You're going to retain your diverse talent, right? And you're going to come with better partners that are also creating an anti-racist organization. So to me, it's, it's the best thing you can absolutely do for business. So Casey, what's up, what you got? Well, I like to use this analogy for folks with the risk or loss of talent or whatever fear you may have. A lot of folks say, oh, well, you know, white men are really feeling like there's reverse racism, which is not real, Google that. Um, so with that risk that people are feeling the fear, the C-suite, they don't want to shake things up. But what I would say is if you were a host and you're hosting a dinner party or a party at your home, how do you set that table? How do you set the climate? How do you welcome your guests? 
And if you have a guest in your home or at your party that is offending or harming other guests, wouldn't you want to remove that person who is causing harm? Or wouldn't you want them to feel uncomfortable so that they just leave because they're now sensing that what they're saying and doing is not the way we as a culture in this location are, are, are going to behave? So if you think about that, as the C-suite person, how are you setting your table? How are you setting the climate when you invite folks into your home, into your little mini society of your organizational culture? Who is it comfortable for? And who is it uncomfortable for? Yeah. You can see the outcomes. Look at your organization. When things pop up, also, this is a big one that I ask folks to say, to, to, to challenge themselves, when there's an incident, do you automatically blame the person or do you think, hmm, how, what could have led to this? What is the bigger picture? Not just the incident, but broaden your view. What are the policies around this? How could this have been interrupted in different ways before it got here? So I would say just dig deeper and, and really ground yourself in like, who are you as an organization? Who are you as the C-suite? Who are you hosting in your organization? Who are you centering like safety? Yeah. Are you valuing safety or are you valuing certain people's comfort? And that's including your own. Are you willing to be uncomfortable in the C-suite? Are you willing to say, hey, I'm not that great at this stuff, but I'm gonna learn and I'm gonna be bad at the beginning, but, I, but I'm doing this because I care about being anti-racist. Yes, and that rolls into number three, change takes effort. And like you just said, they have to say, I'm not good at this. I'm going to get better at it. And they're sitting there at the top of these organizations, regional, national, international, and say, I will get better at this. But they know it's going to take consistent work and effort. They have to do it. And so they, they don't want, so that's whether it's policy changes, them literally educating themselves on reading books, right? If does it look like they need to go about bringing in consultants? Like, what does it take when it comes to making that change, doing that work, making that effort in that organization? And they have to do it. They have to do what I call as number four. But I'm before I go to number four, I'm gonna let you talk on number three about them. Um, it takes effort. Change takes effort. Because you had more. Because I talked about policies. Oh, did I get ahead? <laughs> Huh? Did I jump ahead? No, no, you roll right okay. into number three. But before I roll into number four, I want you to talk on number three. Okay, well, I'm getting confused by the numbers. But we talked about accountability, which was number five. We're actually trying to go backwards. Yep. And then now we've talked about risk, which I push back on the risk. I think it's riskier to stay racist than it is to, to yep. move into anti-racist. Um, the, the other one we're talking about is the hard work that it takes. And yep. the hard work that it takes is true. It is absolutely hard. Why? Because we don't have a lot of systems in place that teach us how to be anti-racist in our organizations. And so therefore we have to reach out and get help and get people to walk the path with us, yep. to walk the path out of racism that produces the outcomes that we see in our organizations, whether it's a wage gap, whether it's lack of diversity, all sorts of issues that are happening, that doesn't just happen in a vacuum. And so, Yes, it's hard work and it's even harder because our systems and our culture and our society isn't built to support creating anti-racist organizations. But 
that's what we're called to do as leaders, as C-suite people, as CEOs. Um, it is our job to do that hard work. And it's our job to model that it, that hard work is starting from the top. We, we have a comment. Um, racism is in every conceivable aspect of American life jobs, K through 12 education, higher education, corporations, medical. Oh my God. So medical, we, we, we could be here on each one of those on so many different levels. We're talking about corporate, but you're right. It is truly ingrained. Um, last week, Friday was Juneteenth. I did a very short live stream because, well, my internet connection went out, but on that live stream, I was telling them how black history is a month because it's cut out of all of history. And really how my mother instilled and taught to myself and my siblings what black history is, what we truly have committed and done to in this country. So we have a whole set of books in our den, you know, before Google, right? You had encyclopedias, but she has sets of books that focus specifically on black history African-American contributions and what we truly created in this country and the impact that we truly have had in this country from inventing things to the economy, right? From designing cities, building cities and how it is not included in our history. And she told me how when she learned about our real history, she had one professor in college at the HBCU she attended here in South Carolina who taught that. And so when my mother graduated from college from education, she taught geography. She said she included geography in black history into her teaching geography. She said if students in, in my mother graduated college in 1969. So, so imagine that. So she finally went to a school system that had just integrated. They would integrate the first year. They integrated the second year. The superintendent was a white man. My mother gave his daughter her only B plus she ever got in school. She got all A's except for my mother's class. And my because she taught about black history and because it was not documented, because it was, it was documented, but it wasn't included in public libraries, especially here in the South. Where was the young girl going to go to get that information? There were no computers she could use, right? So she couldn't she couldn't make an A on something you could not find because it was not taught. And so it was really important to my mother that she included as an educator in the South the great things we have done and achieved in the country. So she made an effort truly to create that opportunity to educate. And it cost her money as an educator to buy those books, right? to educate herself and get that degree and pass that along. So CEOs need to understand, C-suite needs to understand, you're going to have to invest time, money, and, and put in the work in order to create an anti-racist organization. So be like my mother, go educate, get educated, go through to educate other people, but understand you have to do it. You have to make, number two, the commitment. You have to be committed to this. So that commitment comes through in number one, changing yourself, committed to changing yourself and understanding what you have done that is racist or what you do that is racist. Number two, it comes in educating yourself on a regular basis. And number three, in that part of that commitment is changing your own behavior so that you now are making those changes also within your organization. 
that you are at the top of, of managing. Okay, I'm gonna breathe down and let Casey go. <laughs> I love number two, actually. I like talking about um, the commitment to the long-term change. So it is really important, and I try to stress this every time I talk to an, a CEO or, or um, board member or anyone who has positions where they make decisions about moral um, documents, which is the budget and policy. Okay, so whenever you're looking at your moral documents of your organization, budget and policy, what and how are those wielded to support, foster, cultivate an organization that is anti-racist? And how are those resources put into other initiatives of the organization? Is there parity? Are you valuing it equally or not? Are you thinking, okay, this is what we're gonna commit to this year or for six months or for two years? Any length of time that you constrain it to, I think is too much, is it, you shouldn't even do that because this is about an evolution. Culture is constantly happening and you it's a practice. And so this is a journey and yes, we need to build those muscles and get a personal trainer to help us build new muscles and, and get new tools and get comfortable using those new tools. But eventually we hope to bake it in just the way we were baked in, the, the racism was baked into us. Well, then we need to bake in the anti-racism practices and the new tools so that we don't have to keep fighting this. We need it to, just to be part of the way we operate and the way that we think and work. So the reason it's hard and the reason it takes long-term commitment is because we have to both learn and unlearn. Yeah. So that's double. We're doing double work here, folks. And that's why long-term commitments also require resting, reflecting, and not letting yourself get burnt out and and knowing that, okay, this is the infinite game. This isn't just about me. This isn't just about this quarter or this three-year strategic plan. This is about the history of this organization. This is about the history of our community and of our and of our country and, and our globe, right? So we're international. So this is way bigger than us. And we are we gonna support that moving in that direction or are we not? Absolutely, absolutely, okay. Number one, the number one reason why your C-suite is not fighting racism. It exposes your C-suite as racist and their racist behaviors. So what, what you're saying, what they're saying is, oh my God, they know they're racist. They know they have racist behaviors. They do not want that spotlight on them. Let me tell y'all, we already know. We, we, we already see this. We number one see it in your your EEOC complaints, lawsuits that come become public, your lack of hiring, your turnover among your black employees. And when they go out and they share that information publicly. Now remember a few years ago, and I can't remember Leslie's last name, he was um, um, in management at Twitter and he refused to take the severance package from Twitter so he could talk about how he was treated wow. as a black man. So often, too often, they use a severance package to silence employees. And oftentimes, black employees are not in a position to be able to walk away from that money. Um, because number one, it takes us longer to find jobs well, because of racism, right? Number two, well, most of my, a lot of my friends aren't white. So my network isn't the same people 
white, a lot of white people will have access to, especially being an engineer. So that adds even more time to it, right? So if I have somebody who's a VP, I can be in the door in less than 30 days as opposed to, oh, well, you have to submit that online. There's no submit, no job online, no resume online, whatever. So it, it is your racist tendency. Trust me, we already know. But what happens when you, as the C-suite says, hey, we're going to fight racism. I understand that I've, I have racist behaviors, racist beliefs. So I'm starting with myself. So you need to own your own ish from the beginning. When you make that statement, let the spotlight be on you and the things that you have to do for yourself as you do it internal to your organization, right? And you need to own it because when you own what you are, who you are and the changes that you need to make. So, so Crystal, you said it's baked in. Baked in is a chemical reaction that cannot be undone. Okay, maybe you not. Become, yeah, you can be, become anti-racist, right? Yeah. So, so it's not baked in. You have to make a conscious effort. You have to be committed. And at the C-suite, you're going to be held accountable. Because at the end of the day, it is still going to be profitable for your business. But you need to own who you are, what you are, and go back, make that plan, be committed to it, publicize it, be held accountable for it, and be open to it. Because remember, you took this role in the C-suite, you're held accountable to shareholders, stockholders, you're going to be held accountable by Black people for becoming anti-racist, right? Because we already, we already know, we're already looking at you. Like, yeah, we know you're racist. This ain't nothing new. We already talked about you. you the <laughs> only person unconscious to your racism is somebody who's actually in the hospital unconscious. The rest of the world already knows. You're not hiding yeah. it. So I, I'll let you go from there, Crystal. All right. So with that said, I would just like to highlight the fact that there really is no middle ground or neutral. And folks who felt that, well, we're just a business and we focus on whatever widget um, doing nothing about racism is being racist. And so if you don't want to be in that category, then jump on over with us into the anti-racist category and fight against racism. And that means fighting against racism within yourself, when within your sphere of influence, which is your organization, your company, your family, your friends, any spaces where you are and you can speak up and say, nope, that is not okay here. That is not the way we operate. And now we are interrupting racism, not just avoiding, ignoring, um, hoping and praying and thoughts and prayers and all that stuff. We're not doing that anymore. We are now actively anti-racist. And if we're not actively anti-racist, then we are racist. <laughs> just be anti just join us. We know that we have these things going on inside. And so what we're doing over at my organization, Sombramos, we have a book club that is joining on July 7th and we're reading How to Be an Anti-Racist by Imbram Kendi. It is a wonderful book. I'm already about chapter six out of 19. It's about 10 hours to listen to. I couldn't get a hard copy because they were all sold out, which makes me happy. I hope people are reading it um, and will be joining the movement that we are all a part of um, once we decide to be anti-racist. And that is just a decision that you can make and need to continue to make each moment of our lives. It's about being mindful in each moment and understanding 
um, a lot of the things that are going to be talked about in this book and a lot of the topics that Michelle and I talk about as well. So it's a constant practice that never ends. And we're just excited to finally have a lot of organizations waking up and saying, yes, we want to do this journey. Yes, this is what we're about. We know that there's going to be accountability. We know that it's going to be hard. We know that it's long term. And we know that we have some racism stuff going on in our company because the outcomes tell us so. We are having wage gaps. We are having lack of diversity. We're having all sorts of things that tell us this is not bad apples. This is bad racist policy and procedures that are happening. And we could build skills to facilitate doing better. So that is a great list, Michelle. Thanks for bringing those five. And I hope that folks will join us for the book club. Um, and thank you everyone for joining. Um, we are here each Thursday talking about different topics. And hopefully um, we can continue this conversation with folks in the comments. If you have experience with your organization shifting or pivoting towards being more anti-racist, I would love to hear about that. Michelle and I are always interested in hearing about your experiences out there and what your organization is doing to shift and to, to keep going, knowing that this is long-term. Um, share your strategies with us. Let us know what's going on on your end. I'm, I'm cracking up at myself because I closed my own window. You closed us out. <laughs> well, I was just inviting folks to the book club and inviting folks to share their experiences because we know a lot of stuff's going on out in your organizations and your cultures are shifting or questioning or reflecting. And, you know, we'd like to know what strategies are working or what is making you feel like, yes, the tide is shifting because we don't only want to complain. We also want to highlight what we do want to experience, what we do want to feel, what we do want to see. Um, so let's not just stay in what's broken, but let's envision the future and the world and the workplace that we deserve. Yes. Okay. I love this. I know this was, this is a harder topic for a lot of people. Um, but it is truly important that organizations from the top down become anti-racist and they're, they're making the commitments. They are being held accountable. They put, they're putting in the work and it takes it for too long. Black people and Brown people have been running that, that change and that with somewhat white allies, don't get me wrong. But what we are not seeing is the commitment at high enough levels to make it to break down systemic racism. And that is really what this current movement is about. It has to be more than government policies. It has to be more, it has to be in every aspect of what we encounter here in the US. So one, like one of the viewers said, it is in all our jobs, it is in K through 12, it is in um, higher ed, it is in corporations, it is even in prisons. So when you look at how laws are written, it is okay to be in, enslaved in prison and get free labor. And when you look at the predominantly who's in prison, slavery still exists. So it is so ingrained in this country to, it has to be, anti-racism has to be fought on every single front, including medical, because I left that out, right? Including medical and what does that mean? And and I literally talked to my friends. I remember I was like, uh, I gone to the doctor and they said, oh, your blood pressure is really good. And I text one of my friends who's a nurse and she's not black. She goes, 
what's your blood pressure? She was like, don't listen to them. Cause they're like, oh, for a black person, your blood pressure is good. Oh. But in actuality, where you need to be, it's not. So she was like, just ask me, just ask me. So it, it's to the point, she's like, I know you can't. And that's why you see directories that are for black and brown um, medical professionals. Because a lot of what medicine is built on is racist, right? A lot of medical things that are created here in the U.S. were based on enslaved black people being tortured and tested on even during slavery and post-slavery. So we talk about the Tuskegee syphilis experiment, right? They even had a cure for syphilis, but they kept testing the people. So it, it really is ingrained in every aspect of this country and it has to be addressed and become anti-racist in every single aspect. So that's one reason why uh, Crystal, who runs Sombramo, she's founder Sombramo, she wants to do this book club so that we're helping people get educated every single month on what it looks like to become anti-racist and to help you start doing that work on yourself. Um, we have founders that have reached out to us who are who have their own startups who are like, you know what, it's just me or myself and two or three other people. This is what I want. This is what I have to have. How do I do it? Can you help me? And we're hearing them. We're addressing them. We're answering them along with all these other emails and phone calls that are coming through as well because we understand it is imperative that this work is done on so many different levels from corporations with 100,000 employees that are global to startups that have a single founder who's like, I have to do this work starting with me starting now. They are not waiting and they're literally putting in the work, looking to be held accountable and they want to make it happen right now or starting right now, start doing the work. So in that, be sure to click on the link, put it in the comments. You can always message us here on LinkedIn. And we look forward to having you join us again next week for another discussion on anti-racism. Everybody have a great week and we will see you next week, Thursday. Bye. Bye. <laughs>